This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, my name is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Lena Schumacher on, and she's going to tell us all about her experience investing in real estate in Austin. Hey, Lena, how are you? Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Going great. Good to see you again. I'm glad things are going well, and I can't wait to hear all about your story that you're going to tell people. Sure, yeah, happy to help out. Awesome. So real quick, Lena, who are you and how are you involved with real estate investing in Austin? Um, yeah, so my name's Lena. <laughs> um, and I am actually a data analyst for the VA. That's my day job. Um, and I've got interested in real estate investing um, about like when I graduated from college. Um, I suddenly had like a job and some like extra income and was like, oh, is this it? <laughs> like, this is what we've all been striving for is like getting this job. Um, and so I was like, well, maybe I can do something with this extra money. So started looking into um, both looking into like investing in stocks and also in real estate. Um, my uncle had been interested in real estate, had read like Rich Dad, Dad, Poor Dad, um, and had talked to me about some of the concepts from that. So I was a little bit familiar with it, but um, yeah, didn't didn't really start to like actually focus on it until I graduated from college. Um, and yeah, like I, I think at that point, I just was curious about it, would just like read books. I started listening to podcasts. Um, Got involved with like bigger pockets around then. Um, and yeah, just sort of in the beginning, just trying to understand and learn as much as I could about things. Um, well, but it wasn't, what was that? It's awesome that you were interested outside of college, you know, just right out of college and hey, I'm interested in real estate investing. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, like I was interested during college as well, but I, I, I don't know why, but I didn't think that like, Oh, I'm in college. Like I should invest in real estate. I I thought that was like something that people do after college, but obviously, like you can do it, <laughs> like whenever I guess. Uh, but I don't know. Like I I guess I just like personally put it off until after college. Still, I mean, the fact that you're even thinking about it in college, I I was thinking about partying and drinking in college, not real estate investing. <laughs> I wish I would have been thinking about real estate investing. And I always, always say, I wish I would have started earlier. I didn't start late in life by any means. I started at 27, but imagine if I would have started six years earlier than that, you know, what, how much further I could have gone in that amount of time because your best friend in real estate is time. You know, time is, is your best friend. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause I think like I, probably did start early compared to maybe some of my other friends but I 
I don't know that I'm like this like beacon of like oh this is the perfect way you should have been doing things because I I mean I still like make mistakes I I haven't like ramped up my real estate empire like a lot of people um even though I did start early but um yeah I don't know I guess like I don't I don't think there's like a wrong way to do this (laughs) stuff Absolutely not. So how old were you when you started, Lena? Um, so I, so like I said, right when I graduated college is when I started thinking about it. I didn't buy um, until 2000, like the end of 2015. So about six years ago. So mm-hmm. I was, uh, let's see, 20, uh, 26, I guess. So I guess not not too far off from where you are um, was when awesome. I bought my first property. That's, and that's part awesome. of that was like, um, so I was living in the Bay Area and I was rooming with a friend and we like were paying such high rents and we were like, I wonder if we could sort of like, like house hack, I guess, but like, I wonder what would happen if we could buy something that was like between us, like we go in on a deal together um, because I had a bunch of capital, but she also brought in like, um, she she had a higher income than I did. So she would look better um, from the mortgage standpoint for, for getting approved for that. Um, so we, we looked around at a bunch of things, um, but uh, my friend ended up not wanting to go through with it, wanted to like invest in some other stuff. So then I was like, well, like I still want to invest in something and it doesn't need to be in this area. So then I was like, well, I'll just look outside to like where I'm from, which is Utah. Um, I'll look in my hometown and just see what's there. And that's sort of how my journey started. And, um, like where since since like I knew the area, I kind of knew like the location of different things and like what was reasonable um, for different areas and like how much I could rent for things. And I found that like when I was doing some of these numbers that um, just like the numbers weren't quite where I wanted them to be in order to like cash flow because that was my ultimate goal um, is to basically just get a bunch of houses that can cash flow that can like pay for my lifestyle essentially um I don't know that I'm necessarily like good at it but but that was at least the goal um and so um in Salt Lake I just wasn't getting in my estimates like enough cash flow and so I I then started looking outside of that city so I looked at like another city it's a little bit north it's in Ogden um it in the past was kind of like run down, but it was starting to have a lot more like money in flow from it. It's close to um, some ski resorts in the mountains that like not a lot of people know about, or it's like not as well known as like the park cities or like snowbirds. Um, so at least there, there still was like a lot of things that was like appealing to the area, um, but it was a lot cheaper. And um and I found that like things were cash flowing a bit better there when I was doing my estimates. So, 
So I, my first property that I ended up buying was a triplex um, in Ogden, Utah. Um, and I don't know, like, do you want me to go into like numbers or like? Sure. Yeah, no, I'd love that. Yeah, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing that information, that's awesome. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, <laughs> I'll see if I can like remember everything about it, but I, I remember like I bought it um, for about 151, I think. Um, and I, and since I was investing, I put down 20%. Um, and it was already rented. So I, I inherited all the renters um, from that. And just like in the process of like doing everything, like I, I knew like, I don't know, I was like just putting out or figuring out steps as I go. Like I didn't have everything figured out all at once. Um, so like the first thing was like finding a real estate agent. I like did that and then um, found the property and then was like, didn't understand like how mortgages worked, but like my real estate agent was nice enough to like sort of walk through things with me. And like, we figured out a broker, all of that stuff. Um, and then like, I was looking for a property manager because I didn't want to like be there for everything. Um, and I ended up actually hiring the property, man the, the previous property manager um, of that triplex. Cause it was also an investment property from someone. Um, and he's been great. And, um, let's see, I think I, I estimated that. So at the time, I think my mortgage payment was like seven fifty, Um, and I estimated that I could maybe get like 1700 um but once you like i don't know there's just like things that you don't think about when you go into it that yeah. just like always seem to come up um and so on paper like the cash flow looked really nice um but it it never um cash flowed that well i would say and part of that is um I mean, there's just like expenses that you don't account for, um, for like upkeep of the general, like upkeep of, uh, the, the investment property. Part of that is just like, might depend on like your property manager and like, they're doing a lot of things and then you're just paying, paying the bill for it essentially. So there's probably some wiggle room where you could be like, Hey, I don't want to like do this X, Y, and Z on this property or whatever, but also like. I, I want to like provide a nice property for somebody to live in. And so I'm willing to like make some sacrifices there on cash flow. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is like when you inherit tenants, <laughs> um, you can't like you, you can't um, always. Uh, expect that they're going to be the greatest tenants if you're not the ones that like screen them or anything. Um, so one, one other thing that like I dealt with a lot was, um, just like some people just didn't want to pay their rent. <laughs> um, and so 
after a while, like I ended up having to evict some people um, or people just like don't pay on time or only pay like half at a time. I don't know. It like the, the payments were like always a little bit uneven. There'd be like some months where um, like it wouldn't cash flow at all. And I'd, I'd have to like chip in a little bit. And then there'd be other months where it'd be like great cash flow. And so you just have to like make sure your, your, your bases are covered. Cause some, some months you're, you don't know if it's going to be like a big or, or a negative month. Um, yeah. So I think then, that, you know, like you, you, you mentioned there, I just want to talk about that real quick. A lot of people just look at, Hey, what's the vacancy rate? And they look at it holistically and say, how, how often is this unit vacant? But there's something called economic vacancy, and that essentially means that that unit's not paying. So I think that's so important to look at too. And on on larger deals, people talk about economic vacancy. We look at economic vacancy, but on a two unit or a three unit, it's it's not as widely spoken about. But yeah, I think stuff like that you have to account for in your vacancy rate assumptions because. You know, the unit might be occupied and they might be in it. They might be using water. Maybe you're paying their gas bill and they're using the, the heat. You know, I know somewhere like Utah, you want heat, but mm-hmm. maybe they're not actually paying the rent, you know, a, a month out of the year because it's just a no good tenant. And then you have to go through the eviction process with that person. And, you know, yeah, maybe you get a little bit of physical vacancy, but you get a lot of that economic vacancy and it's important to pay attention to that when you're buying properties in uh not so great areas and i like what you talked about you said hey on the spreadsheet it looked amazing you know my spreadsheet cash flow was huge but then when the actual real life situations come into effect it's not so great because there's some factors that you just can't account for and that's kind of how it is but fortunately you know you could talk to people and listen to podcasts and you know learn some more stuff that way so hopefully we can learn from what lane is talking about here and and we can so i guess my next question is would you buy that deal again or would you buy it for a different price if you bought it again (laughs) um yeah i would totally buy that again i think there's something to be said about getting into your first deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first deal is the hardest deal to get into um, because there's a lot of unknowns and and um, you're just not like sure of the, the process. I mean, that, that goes for like anything, right? Like the first day you go to school or whatever, it can be like really nerve wracking. But once you start doing it, it's like, okay, like you get, you get a hang of things, you know, like, so yeah, like, I would totally do it again. Um, it was a good learning experience. Um, and then just knowing what I know now. So I wasn't originally buying for appreciation, but, um, it has done really well in the past five years. Um, that like it could still cash flow negatively and I would still be making money from it in the long run if I like sold right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, when you're, when you're doing your spreadsheet math, it's it's pretty typical to be really conservative with appreciation. I think if you can look at historical appreciation in the last two decades in an area, like in Austin, 
we've seen an average of around 7% appreciation over the, the last couple of decades, the last two decades. So if you're saying, okay, well, the national appreciation, the national average appreciation is 3%, and I'm going to assume that for Austin. It's like, well, th that's all good and great that you're, so you're being conservative and you're, you're being safe, but you're not even being true to what's actually happened. So, of course, last year we saw over 40% appreciation. That's probably <laughs> not going to happen again, but you look back 20 years and average that and said, hey, you know, we've seen 7% over the last 20 years, I'm gonna use 7%. You probably wouldn't be crazy to assume that kind of growth, especially mm -hmm. with all these big tech companies moving here. So speaking of that, uh, Lena, why did you choose to move to Austin? So obviously you're from the Salt Lake City area, correct? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. Yeah. Uh, um, and then I, I went out to California for school. And so I'd been there for the past 10 years or so. Uh, um, and then when, let's see. Um, so I just really liked Austin. I'd visited a few times, really enjoyed it. My friends from college, a couple of them had moved here, um, and really love it. And was like, they're all encouraging me to like come out here and stuff like that. Um, and it's sort of like got to the point being, I don't know, I'm like one of those typical Californians, I guess, where I was like, this is a ridiculous amount of money to pay for rent. Um, so like, could I still get like the benefits that like I'm enjoying from the area, maybe in like a different place. Um, and so I had looked at a few different places and Austin just like ticked the boxes that were important to me. Um, and so I was sort of just looking for jobs in the area, was trying like, oh, Austin would be nice. It was sort of like a pipe dream. Um, but then when the pandemic hit and like everyone went remote, um, you know, I, I used that as like an opportunity um, to basically convince my job that like, I didn't need to return back to the office. Yeah. Um, and so they let me work permanently remotely. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, let's do it. Like, let's try this out. Let's, let's move to Austin. So that's how I ended up here. <laughs> Love it. Um, so real quick, can you tell everybody what you're doing here in Austin as far as real estate goes? Obviously, I know, but I just want, want to hear your story a little bit from for everybody else's perspective. Yeah. Um, so I had been learning a lot about house hacks and thought that would be a fun thing to do. <laughs> um, and also just like a good way to just buy more properties essentially. Um, and so when I decided to move to Austin, um, that's how I got in contact with you. 
um, and you you helped me find a house to hack. And so that's where I'm currently living right now. We bought it in January, 2021. Um, so like kind of perfect timing before a lot of the craziness happened. Yeah. And what Lane is referring to as far as the craziness. Uh, so we got super low inventory spring of 2021 here in Austin. It was already really low. By anybody's measure, we had very low inventory. We had extremely high demand and not a lot of supply. And the supply went even lower and then the demand went even higher. And, you know, when that happens, prices just went up, up and up. Um, we've gotten slightly more inventory. And again, we're filming this in December of 2021. We've gotten slightly more inventory, but demand has not gone down. So prices are, are still going up not up at the spring 2021 rate, but they're still going up pretty well. Um, and, you know, all of us that own real estate in Austin are still seeing awesome equity gains by the property we owned and bought in the last X number of years, last year, this year, earlier this year, you know, just crazy amounts of gains here in Austin. So, uh, Lena, you talked a little bit about this in the beginning about why you got into real estate. You said, Hey, I've got this money I'm making. What should I do with it? But how do you know? Obviously, you're in the tech space. A lot of people in the tech space play in the stock market, they're playing crypto, they, they do that kind of stuff. What drew you to real estate out of the, all the assets out there? Yeah, I mean, so I wouldn't say that I don't invest in those other things. Um, mm -hmm. This is sort of another way of like diversifying my investments, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the other thing is that like, it's a very knowable asset. Um, like everyone needs a house. You understand how it works. You have a little bit more control over it. Um, as, and like with stocks, it's sort of like, who knows why, the prices that I mean, some financial advisor or whatever could come up with like some algorithm or whatever, but really like, I don't know. I personally think the way that stocks are priced is very arbitrary. Um, but, um, yeah. And so, and I think that like with housing as well, like, um, you know, like everyone is going needs housing. And so, just being a part of that. Um, yeah, just like makes sense. And also like, it's, it's fun to like look at different houses and like, if you're house hacking, like, and you're redoing stuff, it, it can be a fun, like creative outlet to, to, you know, like repaint something or like take something that is, um, very outdated and make it into something that is a lot nicer. That's up to date. Um, and that can be a fun process as well. Yeah. And, you know, you, you've got some experience doing that here in Austin. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your house hack and what it, what it was like when you bought it and what it's like now? Yeah. So I bought a house um, that was made in like the late 60s. And honestly, I think nothing had been updated since then. <laughs> I mean, like maybe the water heater had been like replaced a few times, you know, but, um, as far as like the inside went, like it looked like it came out of the seventies, um, which like was fine because I 
saw opportunity to like for some appreciation and and um you know update things and and be able to charge like more rent for for the area um and so i don't know i i put a lot of money into it but i am pretty like proud of how far <laughs> how uh how much i've done and how how different it looks too um i basically i feel like i replaced everything but um i redid the floors i updated the kitchen like tore tore out all the cabinets put new cabinets in new countertops um i there was popcorn ceiling i got rid of that um the bathrooms were i also redid like new cabinetry new countertops um the like i i redid like the electrical outlets i didn't do like the wire the wiring um but i but i replaced like the the covers and everything and and there was some like electrical things that i had to fix on like the connectors um because there was some aluminum wiring in there <clears throat> so i like switched out the, some of the connectors there i i got all brand new like ceiling fans um i replaced the windows cuz they were like single paned aluminum and some of some of them like didn't even lock <laughs> um and i don't know i think those are like the big things i repaint i repainted everything a lot there's like a like a wooden paneling that yeah like came out of the 70s like in the in the front room that i tore out um and there's like a gap when they tore it out there's a gap and so i i like had them like put new drywall over it so that it looks like it's one fluid wall um yeah i mean that's those are the big things i mean there's always projects i like it it didn't have um uh oh my gosh like rain gutters and so i had those put on <laughs> like like even just like little things there are some things like oh um like the the air vent covers um looked like they just had been painted over several times and then when you looked at it on the inside it just looked black like very moldy it was like disgusting and i would say like probably the highest roi that i got <laughs> on this house was just replacing like vent covers um cuz it looks just like super nice now and i'm not like scared of like mold coming into like kill me in the middle of the night um but yeah did and yeah like repainted everything on the inside um and but there's always like projects to be done <laughs> oh yeah no we we done fairly large rehabs on a lot of our house hacks and every time i recently just redid all the landscaping and i said why did i not get this done to begin with and i just didn't think of it you know, I said, oh, I'll just throw some rock down here. It'll look great. Um, it didn't look great. It looked okay. But no, we just had all that redone. We had cactuses planted and it's going to look really good now. But yeah, there's, like you said, there's always projects to be done. I mean, that's why when <clears throat> a lot of people are doing 
a large volume of these things. They'll keep a checklist and say, hey, all right, we got to do this on the landscaping. We're going to do this on the windows. And this, this is the bathroom. This is the paint color, just so you don't miss things. But yeah, when you're doing your first or second or third, you're just you don't do rehabs that often. It's so easy to miss a lot of stuff. And that's the nice thing about living in it. As you live there, you say, oh, yeah. I, I should do that. And then you can do it and not feel bad about it. But, you know, it's harder to want to do that to a rental property. You said, oh, I spent that money up front. I'm not going to do it anymore. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and definitely like, so like I had bought this house not seeing it. I, I mean, like you sent me videos and like, mm -hmm stuff like that. So I, I at least like had a sense of things. And, and I had experienced that when I bought my properties in Utah as well. Um, like I'd never seen them in person. Um, but, and I, and I think that's like fine, but there is something to be said of like, when I actually like moved in, um, like I had a checklist just based on like what I saw from the video. But mm -hmm. once I actually got in, I, I was like, Oh, these windows are pretty bad. Like I should replace them <laughs> or like for a while I was like, well, they're, they're, they're okay. Like I, I think I can live with them. But like when I actually started to live with them, like I was like, no, these, these definitely need to go. Um, and I think like, yeah, the, the rehabbing of, of the house has gone in, in like different phases. So there's sort of like the first phase, which is like the big one where it's like, you know, it, you get it to where it's like at least livable, where there's like floors. Um, and then like, once you start living in it a little bit more, you can see like, oh, this thing is bugging me or it doesn't look great. Um, my thing too was like, I, I had like an idea of how much I wanted to um, charge for the extra rooms in my house. And I, and I knew that like, if I didn't replace certain things or if it, it looked outdated then i wouldn't get that that amount of money that i wanted um so i just like was willing to bite the bullet and like even just like replacing the blinds um like mm -hmm. the blinds were just like really gross yeah um and like one of my friends was like you're you're funny because like you're like i would have kept those blinds for like another 20 years and i'm like yeah but if you're paying like a thousand dollars a month for like greasy lines like are you gonna do that or she's like okay i guess not but so it's like i'm I'm willing to like replace certain things that like maybe are okay functional but like even just cosmetically like and like also you're living there too so like i want to live in a nice place as well <laughs> yeah yeah you guys really do have some leeway when your house hacking was you you can justify going a little further and we always do. We go a little bit further than we probably would have gone because we, we want to live there and we, we have to live there for at least a year. Um, yeah. So, you know, it sounds like you, you went through a pretty big rehab on this place. You bought a couple places over video without seeing them first. Could you give us some advice on how to avoid a bad deal or how to avoid problems when doing some of this type of stuff? Yeah. Um... 
so there's I guess there's like two things there's so um there's like advice that I have from like investing from afar and then there's advice that I have from like house hacking and and dealing with with contractors because I had never dealt with contractors before um before doing this house hack um before like I just bought these investment properties and I had like my property manager deal with like all the issues that would come up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'd tell me if there was big things going on, but he would deal with, you know, like contracting or rehabbing if that was, if that was needed. Um, and so let's see, I'll, I'll first start with the, the house hacking. So I had a lot of issues um with my contractors i would say um and i so i guess my advice there um would be uh one like when you're choosing your contractor to like obviously there's like the references and things and i i had got my contractor reference from you so i i felt pretty confident um in that but i think asking what their like workflow philosophy is and also like how many projects they're currently working on, like at the same time as your own. Um, and like, I think the biggest advice is going into it is like, know that you are the project manager for the house hack. I didn't understand this until kind of late into it. Um, so I think that like, I wish I'd been more assertive up front. And I I don't think I I think I was a little bit too flexible with things in the beginning. Um because like my contractor, like he was a great guy, but things like it was sort of like timelines were very unclear. I thought things would be done a lot earlier than they were. Um and I think part of it was like he had taken on too many projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mine sort of like fell by the wayside a little bit. And because of that, like there's some like quality control issues that like even, even after they were done and left, like I still had to deal with and like fix. Um, and so I think just like, Um, and I, I, I also like hired two different contractors at the same time. So one was doing the main house and then one was doing, um, my personal bathroom. So like I, um, I use a manual wheelchair and so I need things to be like wheelchair accessible. And part of like one of the the big things that, um, I had to do, I don't know what it is about the South, but like southern bathroom doors are very narrow like no other like other doors are fine but like for some reason the bathroom is very narrow so like i can never get into bathrooms in the south it's very strange it's happened like in texas it's also like i visited friends in like alabama and georgia and for some reason their bathrooms are very skinny um so i've had to like widen doors here but um and then like with my own bathroom, I like had some like like a roll in, put a roll in shower and like all this other stuff, um, and a roll under sink. And so 
I hired contractors to do that separately or like a different contractor to do that separately who like specialized in it. Um, and like, I gave each other like their contact info to like, so they could like coordinate, but like, I, I doubt they really coordinated. Like it's, it's obviously like it should be on me, but I thought that they would like coordinate things and like talk and, and make sure that like things were good. Cause because I still had to have work done in my room um, that would like interfere with some of their stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, so I think like making sure that like, that they're not overworked, that like you have a clear set timeline that like you can agree on and also like hold them accountable to. Um, and also like, don't be afraid to like, push back if something isn't done correctly um there or like or you ask a contractor to do something and and they say like oh the, oh like i can't do it for like x y and z reasons and and i think there's like reasonable um reasons why like obviously like them as contractors like no more than me but also like I think sometimes they um sometimes they can be a little bit lazy and like not want to do certain things because it's a little bit extra work. Um, but if it's like something that you think is reasonable and is achievable, like don't be afraid to be like assertive. Um, so for instance, like in my bathroom, there there's a bit of like a threshold that um between like the transition from like uh like the bathroom area to like my sink um and one of the contractors wanted to put like this strip over it that would basically like sort of try to smooth smooth that transition but um for me like that wasn't gonna work because like with my wheelchair like hitting that threshold like is kind of yeah. dangerous for me yeah. um like I could fall out and hurt myself pretty badly and so like once I explained that and was like hey like this is like a health thing like this is like a big like safety thing um like can you just like lay some extra like concrete down to like smooth smooth out that transition because they still hadn't like laid down the flooring yet um so that so that it's like it's okay if it's there's a slight slope but you know make sure that there's no like immediate like like huge like transition that's gonna like prevent me from something and he's like oh yeah of course so like took a, a couple like i don't know push push back on that um and just like, like explaining some things um but it ended up like being totally fine and not like a big deal but in the beginning, he was sort of making it a big deal. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So the great advice from Elena there, be be very clear and be very assertive with contractors because um, things can take too long, they can cost too much, and they cannot be done right if you're not. So that that's great advice there. I really like that. Um, so Elena, you've, you've done a fair amount of real estate investing already what's next for you do you have any long-term goals or a real estate vision i know and then in the beginning 
you said you were working to build passive income that would cover your expenses. Is that still the primary goal? Um, yeah, I would say so. I am sort of taking the slow route, I would mm -hmm. say. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people do like the house hack a year thing and like try to ramp up their portfolio. Um, I probably will wait like another year before I start thinking about that. Um, but my long-term vision is, um, yeah, to just keep working on like my investing in, in those different spheres. Um, so I am learning a little bit about like day trading and options trading. Um, so doing that, that sort of aspect of it. And then as far as real estate, just like continue to build up my portfolio, um, and ultimately just be able to like live off of the cash flow if I need to, and not basically, uh, retire early or at least not have to work if I don't want to. Yeah, that, that's the dream. I think everybody wants to be able to not have to work. And I, I like that you said that too. It's, hey, if I don't want to, I don't have to type of deal. It's not, hey, I'm trying just to build up this passive income so I can quit my job. But you're saying, if I want to, I want to be able to. And, you know, real estate can absolutely provide that for people. Um, it can do that here in Austin. It, obviously, you're investing outside of Salt Lake City. It can do that a lot of other places. You just have to understand how to run the numbers, how to look at deals and how to buy good deals and increase the income and it can happen. So cool yeah. stuff. Um, do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend Lena? Um, yeah, so it's a little unconventional. <laughs> um, it's called the artist's way by Julia Cameron. So it originally was written uh, or like geared towards like creative types who mm -hmm. sort of are in a funk, but I think it's actually a great like mindset book um, because I think it helps you tap into like what you truly want out of life um, and also like helps you dream a little bit. And I think that's really helpful when you you can also apply that to like your business or to your investing. Um, as far as like tapping into a little bit of creativity and also like, yeah, I think just like dreaming big too. Um, so that's what I would suggest. And that's called the artist's way. Yes. Love it. I have not heard of that. I'll have to check that one out. Um, so many good. Yeah. It's like there. a, it's like a, a 10 week program, I guess. So she breaks it down. Um, like each, each week you do something a little bit different to like tap into your, your inner artist, as she would say it. But I think just into your, yeah, like, I mean, art, your art artist can be, you know, applied to painting or uh, I don't know, whatever, but I think it can also apply to, to more like business as well awesome yeah no we'll definitely put that in the show notes so it's awesome getting different book recommendations everybody says the same stuff of rich dad poor dad and this real estate book but i really like it when somebody has something really unique and and that absolutely is a unique one 
Uh, so, Lena, if people want to follow you or get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out to you or just follow you and see what you're up to? Um, yeah, so I have an Instagram handle. It's called it's Lena Boards First. Um, it's mostly just like me and a bunch of my travels <laughs> around the globe. Um, but if you have like questions about like real estate or whatever, you can also like email me or contact me via LinkedIn or something too. Awesome. And we'll put all that information in the show notes, but uh, Lena boards first on Instagram and you can get a hold of her that way too. Uh, Lena, our most important question of the day, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Yeah. I mean, this is like the whole reason I moved to Austin is great <laughs> food. Yeah. Um, Okay, I, so there, I have two. <laughs> um, so my favorite pizza place is Via 313. Oh, love it. Yeah. Um, and then Austin has been really interesting exploring the food scene because I, I didn't realize, like, how many vegan restaurants there were here. Um, like, Austin, I think Austin's known for, like, barbecue and everything, but, like, when I like to dabble in vegan food. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and I would say like Austin probably has the most like vegan restaurants per capita than like any city, like even New York mm -hmm. and San Francisco. Like I came from San Francisco and like the vegan restaurants here just blow it out of the water. Um, so I'm like very impressed with the Austin vegan food scene here. So I'll also recommend Arlo's if you want like a, a vegan like burger where is like Arlo's I think I've seen it but I can't I, I don't look for vegan food so I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have a few different locations oh okay um but yeah best best burgers awesome well I will have to check it out I don't go seek out vegan burgers too often but you know, if you say they're good, I'll check it out. I've been to a few here in Austin, just with various people I'm with that, that are vegan. But I, again, don't seek out vegan food myself too often. But I'll check out Arlo's. I yeah, always like a good recommendation. All right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Lena. It was great talking to you. And again, guys, if anybody wants to reach out to Lena, probably the easiest way is on Instagram at Lena Boards First. And we'll have all of her contact information in the show notes here. Look forward to hearing more from you, Lena. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. We will talk here soon. All right, see you. Bye.